Hello, my name is Jacob Maurer, and this is the 21st Century Catholic Podcast. This episode of the podcast is dedicated to the World Day of Prayer for Vocations, which was this previous Sunday, April 13th. You know, if there's one question that a religious vocation evokes from anyone, I think, who uh, is familiar with the ins and outs of the sacramental life in the Catholic Church, it is the question of how, or maybe better said, where do vocations come from? When we see a young lady who is entering a convent, especially when we consider how she has her whole life ahead of her and can choose anything in the world, and she chooses to go into a convent, I think the question becomes, why? How? How did you come to this point? Why did you decide to join the convent? And the same goes certainly for a young man, a high schooler perhaps, considering the seminary. There is this fascination with how a person got to that point. What made you decide to be a priest? What brought you from the world into the work of the church? And there is a shroud of mystery that seems to conceal that transition from a normal guy to father. It's almost like he just appeared one day at the parish with a Roman collar and a rosary and a chalice. Of course, we know that isn't true. We heard today that Peter stood up at Pentecost and testified to Jesus. But before he could do that, he had to get to know Jesus. He had to be a witness to his life, death, and resurrection. And he had to commit himself anew after that terrible night of denial. There is a process of growth, spiritually and personally, before anyone can commit themselves to God. Now, people often come up to nuns and seminarians and priests, and they thank them for offering their lives to the church. And then immediately following that, people usually remark how we really don't have enough priests or nuns, and say something along the lines of, well, we really hope that more young men and women do the same. And the question that needs to be asked, I think, is really a very direct one. What are you going to do about this shortage that we seem to have? How are you going to help fill up convents and monasteries? And more close to home, how are you going to make sure that there's always a priest at your parish to help celebrate the sacraments, to make sure that your children will be baptized, that your loved ones, or perhaps yourself, will be able to get married, that there will be someone there to visit you when you're homebound or hospital-bound, to hear your confessions when your soul is in danger, or be able to anoint you, and ultimately to say your Mass when the day comes that you pass from this world into heaven. The fact of the matter is that vocations do not start in Rome, nor in the seminary, and truly not even at your own home parish. They start in what we call the domestic church, in the home, with the family. It's in the life of the family that children learn about God, about their relationship with the Lord, and what God wants from them in their lives. In particular, it is the parents who guide their children to see and accept God's vocation for them. The parents' examples and teachings in the faith form their children. Now, in my own parish here in Seattle and across my diocese, and I am confident enough to say across the world and in any diocese, there are a lot of good and faithful parents, parents who have a strong faith and a faith that has obviously carried them to the place they are now. But, quite frankly, we still don't have enough men and women religious going out into the world or coming from families. And when I ask parents what they think of their child being a priest or a nun, there are some typical responses that come out. The first one, of course, is, you know, again, an acknowledgement that we need more vocations, but then followed by, well, I really want grandchildren. And the second one that I hear a lot, too, is, well, again, I, we need more vocations, we need more priests and nuns, but I'd really like my, my child to experience the world first. And I think that if most parents reflect honestly, just to themselves, without 
any sort of sense of shame, but just recognizing the impulse that there is these thoughts and these uh, desires for, the, for their children that sort of preclude the priesthood or the religious life. I think that the typical prayer for parents about religious life tends to be along the lines of, Lord, please send us more vocations from someone else's family. But I think that's rooted in sort of this brutal honesty about how we see the religious life. And how we see it, I think, is that it is a life of sacrifice. There are promises that are made that limit personal freedom and personal possessions, and perhaps most significantly, personal companionship. In this supernatural calling, a natural thing to notice is what seems to be lost or seems to be limiting. And certainly the promises of obedience and simplicity and celibacy are no small thing. And I suppose if sacrifices were the only result of religious life, these would be staggeringly heavy. But reflect on the priests you know at your own parish and religious that you may know from your own parish or other places. Do they look sad or depressed? Certainly there are times in everyone's life that they are unhappy, but there is always a joy that comes with living out one's true vocation. Certainly ask anyone who has met and married the love of their life. Still, there is this fear of making large commitments. And as parents or others who care about youth, we really don't want anything bad to come to them. And I think this is where we need to work, because the first step, as parents and model adults who are leading children, is to see that there's a whole gamut of things that make up a religious vocation. And certainly, there are many joys that make up the religious life, the good that comes from the calling and the genuine need that exists. Imagine the parts of your life that have happened in the church, from the time when you were baptized when you were very young and your parents brought you in, perhaps, as is typical in many American Catholics, and you were baptized and brought into the church. That first reconciliation, when you probably tremblingly entered the confessional and Father absolved your sins for the first time, and then again, shortly thereafter, receiving First Communion. Perhaps if you're married now, you'll recall your own marriage and how what a joy that day was and how a priest was there, or maybe a deacon was there, to celebrate that union of you and your wife or you and your husband. For those who have ever been sick, there's a great comfort that comes when a priest or religious comes with the Eucharist or when a priest comes to anoint you. And for anyone who's been at a funeral, I think there is a, a realization of the comfort that comes of celebrating a Mass, petitioning God for His grace upon us in times of sorrow, and to pray for the soul of those who have left this world with the hopes that they are with God now. The second step, aside from looking at the whole picture of religious life, is to actually encourage our youth to genuinely consider priesthood and religious life. And when I say encourage, I don't mean just, you know, getting up in front of a large group of youth and saying, consider religious life. I mean going to someone, going to a young man or a young woman, or any man or woman who you think may have a religious vocation, and telling them just that, I think you should consider religious life. And don't just stop there go up and get involved with them, get to know them, because certainly it makes more of a difference if you can get to know someone and guide them along the way. I know that my, in my own vocation, when people came to me, especially people I knew and respected or got to know and respect, it certainly encouraged me to look more seriously. And as I was looking more seriously and continued to have people who cared about me come and say the same thing, to take it more seriously that perhaps this is my vocation. Because in as much as we may not realize it, it still, it still is the truth 
that God works through us. We often are the voice voice pieces of God. We are the mouths of God to say, hey, this is what God wants you to do. And I think this first and foremost lies on parents. As the protectors of the home and the first teachers, you are the ones who have the most influence, of course, on your children. And what parent doesn't encourage dreams of being a doctor or a president, an astronaut or a firefighter? Put priesthood and religious on that same list and talk about it. Talk about it seriously. Would it be an honor to have your daughter as president? Absolutely. Would it be wonderful for your son to be a priest? Yes. And certainly don't forget to pray together as a family. And when you pray, pray for more vocations and pray for vocations from your own family. I know in my own growth as a as a young man considering priesthood and then a seminarian and now as a seminarian approaching ordination there were so many people who at some point had an influence on me and certainly my parents were one of them the the first ones really and then others in my parish and i recall i look back on it and i recall how i guess the uncertainty of of considering a vocation and how i was nervous about it and how each person coming up to me helped bolster this confidence, even in just examining it and just approaching it more, because as a young man or a young woman, there is this, you know, ah, what am I going to do with my life? What's going on? This whole freaking out at just the idea of committing to anything. There's so many possibilities that you don't know what to choose. It's like being at McDonald's and you don't know what you want, and they have 500 things. Order in 90 seconds or less, otherwise, whew, we want you out the door. Encouragement makes a big difference. It helps a lot. Our Pope's name was chosen in honor of St. Benedict. And in St. Benedict's order, in the forming of it, and then in living out the life, there was a phrase that still, even to this day, sort of guides the way that all monks and priests in that order live out their lives. And the phrase simply says in Latin, Ora et Labora, which translated in English means prayer and work. And the principle behind choosing these two words and putting them together was that it was not enough to do one or the other by itself. Prayer is necessary in life. We must always pray. Pray often, pray always. And when you're tired of praying, pray a little more. But we also must work. And to say that I pray for vocations, that is a great thing. And we must never underestimate what prayer can do for us. Grace comes down to us every time that we ask God for it. He never denies us grace. But if we don't work for it, if we don't cooperate with God's plans, and we don't cooperate with God's desire to have us perhaps be an instrument in calling others to the vocation, I think that we're failing in an opportunity to do just that, to bring others into a vocation. And perhaps ours can be the voice that calls a person to priesthood, ultimately, or calls a person to to consider and enter the religious life. And so we must pray for more vocations, and we must work for more vocations. This is a private podcast, and as such is in no way reviewed, authorized, or approved by the Archdiocese of Seattle, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, nor the Holy See. My statements and commentary are my own, which is to say that they are in no way authoritative. There are a couple of ways you can contact me. The first is at my blog, 21stCenturyCatholic.blogspot.com, where it is possible to leave comments and responses. Alternatively, you can email me at 21stCenturyCatholic at gmail.com. The music used for the opening and closing of this podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons license and was found at magnatune.com. The music is listed in greater detail 
on this podcast's blog. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.